So that is the verse we will be speaking about today, John 19.30. Just that little phrase, Jesus' last words, it is finished. As we remember the great truths, really, not, not all of them, there's so much you could talk about the Reformation, but the fact that, that our, our sin debt has been paid in full is maybe the greatest truth in the Bible. <laughs> Some of the greatest, greatest words of the Bible. I'm going to read that text again, just that, John 19.30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Uh, Before I start, let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for these truths, Lord, the simple truth, it is finished. God, without that truth, Father, we we would be eternally condemned. So, Father, we thank you for that simple truth, that it is finished, that it has been accomplished. Our debt that we owed you has been paid by Christ in full, satisfying your wrath, appeasing your wrath, and demonstrating that you accepted the sacrifice in His resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the work of Christ. Lord, I just ask that you would bless the hearts of your people today, strengthen them, sanctify them. Help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It is finished. To tell us die in the Greek, it is finished in the English. These are the, probably some of the greatest words ever spoken by any man who lived, lived on earth. It was, it was his last words. Have you guys ever, you ever thought about, have you ever read like different, maybe famous people's last words? There's a book that I have, Ray Comfort, his, book, his big thick book on biblical evangelism. There's a hundred chapters in it. And at the end of each chapter, he has last words of somebody. Sometimes it's a believer well-known believer, sometimes it's maybe a believer that's not well-known, sometimes it's an atheist. And it's fascinating to hear men's, women's last words. And you can really tell, you can get a, you can really tell where they're at spiritually sometimes by their last words. Here, here's one for you. Socrates, the Greek philosopher. This was some of his last words. All of the wisdom of this world is but a tiny raft which we must set sail when we leave this earth. Listen to this. If only there was a firmer foundation upon which to sail, perhaps some divine word. Isn't that sad? We have the divine word in our text today. Jesus' last words. It is finished. If I was ever going to get a tattoo, <laughs> it would be to tell us die. Somewhere small where somebody could see it. Only for the reason of being a conversation starter. I've thought about that over the years. If I ever was, I'm not going to get into discussion on tattoos, but if I was ever going to get one, I would get something with some thought into it to tell us, hey, what does that mean? It means it is finished. And you just go from there. Yeah, the greatest words probably ever to be spoken by the greatest man that ever lived. Telestai, it is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. You think about that statement, guys. Um, you know, there's only two religions in the world when you break it down. Those who say, it's not finished. And Christ, Christianity, says, it is finished. I like the quote that John MacArthur 
Gabe. I don't know how long ago he said it, but I've I've known it for many years. There are only there are basically only two religions in the world: those based on human achievements and those based on divine accomplishment. It's actually those based on human achievement and this one based on divine accomplishment. Because every other religion teaches human achievement to be right with God. Where Christianity, Christ says it's finished. It's been accomplished. And so that's why, you know, and, and what did he, what, what does he mean it was finished? I mean, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir in here, but there's a point to all of it. Right? It was our, the debt that we owe to holy God for our sin has been paid for. And if we die in our sin without receiving His righteousness, guys, there is a literal hell that we will pay because God is holy. We will never pay that debt off. But Christ paid it off on the cross to save us from the wrath to come. It is finished. It is finished because of His perfect life. Alright, theologians call that His act of obedience where He obeyed God's law perfectly, fulfilled the law perfectly, which we which God demands of us. He does. He demands that we be perfect. Christ as a man was perfect, fulfilling the law. And then His passive obedience. Even on the cross, He bore the curse of the law that was directed towards us. And so it's through His active and His passive obedience that we can receive, right? The doctrine of imputation. We can receive His perfect righteousness as a gift. That's the Christian message. Amen. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, right? For our sake, He made Him, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that we could become the righteousness of God. Jamie was just sharing a family member. You know? And, and we, all, we all know people. Friends and family. What's the difference between what you believe and what they believe. They're good people. The difference is this, guys. God demands perfection. God demands perfection. And we fall short. We need a perfect righteousness. And it comes through Christ. Right? And He died to save us. To save us from what? To save us from hell. To save us from God's wrath. Not to save us from an unhappy life. Oh, this... Again, really for like the third time in a row, this, this message just really gets to the heart of it all, guys. If it's not finished, not, let's just eat, drink, be merry. You know, I'm reading through Ecclesiastes in my quiet time. and You know, the theme of that book, guys, that apart from God, apart from Christ, apart from knowing Him, everything we do is meaningless. You know, what, what's the point of life if it's not finished? You just die... And go and stand before God in judgment. But that's not the truth, is it? It is finished. Amen. So we have hope. We have reason to live. You have reason to get up. You have, you have a reason to be on your job. You have a reason. You stay home mom. Teach your kids. It is finished. <laughs> There's a reason for it, right? We do everything we do to the glory of God. The most mundane things now have a purpose. I want to please God. I know His eyes are watching me. I'm going to be accountable for everything I do. I desire to please Him. It changes everything. It is finished. Nothing can be added to the Gospel. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9. Another passage we read fairly often. 
But Paul says this in Galatians 1, 6-9 to the Galatians. These false teachers were coming in and preaching a different gospel. Adding circumcision to the gospel. Adding one work to the gospel. And he says this to the Galatians, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ. Did you hear that? By the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I think some versions may say pervert, pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Anathema. And so he says it again, as we have said before, so I say now, or again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be accursed. Contrary to, it is finished. They should tell us something, guys. There's a lot of false gospels out there. A lot of nice people that you and I know, you and I love, but they're either preaching or believing a false gospel. They're going to be a curse because that gospel can't save. There's only one gospel, guys. Have you guys heard the, the, the Latin phrase, semper, semper reformanda? Always reforming. Always reforming, guys. We need to be, in, in relation to the gospel, we need to be clearly defining. Clearly. We need to be clearly defining and defending the gospel. That is so important. This is an area we don't compromise in. Clearly defining and defending the truths of the gospel. Why? Why is that so important? Why was the Reformation so important? Why is what we're talking about today so important? Well, in, in respect... In, in relation to the Reformation, which really we're going we're to take a look at the Roman Catholic Church and some of their teachings and how, and, and how to refute that. And why all this is important. The reason why it's so important to clearly define these things and defend them is because false gospels damn souls. That's why. This is not a game. This is not us trying to be mean and pick on other people. False gospels don't save. And there's multitudes that believe false gospels. And they're very popular, very nice people. And so we have to be clear. We have to be crystal clear on these things. Roman, the Roman Catholic Church, their doctrines, the, the gospel they teach, it is a false gospel, as we will see. The last number I've, I have seen that there's approximately 1.3 billion people, souls, sitting under this false gospel, guys. And if that's the gospel they believe, they will stand before God and they will be without a Savior. Um, guys, we must have clarity. This is so important. We must have clarity in these things. Here's, here's an example of not having clarity. Okay, This is not clarity. This is the furthest thing from clarity. Well-known well -known pastor Doug Wilson. This was a few years ago. You can see the interview. I saw it. Forget who was interviewing him, but he he was talking about G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton was a Roman Catholic, not just a Roman Catholic, but an apologist. You know what an apologist is? That means you defend that teaching. He was a Roman Catholic apologist, and Doug Wilson said he was a brother in Christ and is in heaven. Doug Wilson said, "If if he's not in heaven, then I'm not going to go to heaven." Does that bring clarity? 
You know what that does to God's people? To the church? It brings confusion. It brings confusion. It doesn't matter how nice of a guy he was or if you're, we're going, to, we're going to just look at some of what the Roman Catholic Church believes and teaches. And if you're defending that, you're not a Christian. And we shouldn't be calling men like that brothers in Christ. It brings confusion and it dampens evangelistic zeal. Is the Roman Catholic Church our brothers or are they the mission field? Now, I'm not saying there can't be a Roman Catholic a baby Christian in there who maybe doesn't even know what the Roman Catholics teach until God teaches them and gets them out. But to call somebody who defends Roman Catholicism a brother in Christ is shameful. They're, they're their mission field, beloved. The Roman Catholic Church is our mission field. They need the Gospel. A couple statements, a couple men, and there's many out there, but these are Two examples of, of what I mean by clarity. A quote by John MacArthur. In the long war on truth, the most formidable, relentless, and deceptive enemy has been Roman Catholicism. It is an apostate, corrupt, heretical, false Christianity. It's a front for the kingdom of Satan. That's clarity, guys. That's clarity. We're not trying to be mean. But these people need the gospel. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. This is clarity. This is the kind of clarity we need to have in our own minds, in our own hearts, when we're dealing with a Roman Catholic. Out of love, guys. Out of love. Charles Spurgeon says, we must have no truce, no treaty with Rome. War. War to the knife with her. Peace there cannot be. She cannot have peace with us. We cannot have peace with her. She hates the true church. And we can only say that the hatred is reciprocated. Now, to understand what he's saying what he's not saying. We would not lay a hand upon her priests. Right? He's not talking about the people that we should hate. We would not lay a hand upon her priests. We would not touch a hair on their heads. Let them be free. Right? That's our desire. Be free from this bondage. But their doctrine we would destroy from the face of the earth as a doctrine of evils. Because that's what it is. That's why, that's why the Protestant Reformation was such a glorious thing. Because the Word of God was being set free into the language of the people and they started hearing the truth and being set free from this demonic oppression of Roman Catholicism. It's a doctrine of demons, church. You can answer this. Is Christ enough? Amen. Christ is enough. Jesus says so on the cross. It is finished. The writer of Hebrews says so in Hebrews 10.12 When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Hear that? Single sacrifice. Sat down. Why did He sit down? Because it is finished. His work is done. Rome And there's many others, guys. But Roman Catholicism being the biggest one worldwide and obviously the context of the Reformation which is what we're talking about. You know what they say? Christ isn't enough. 
It's not finished. That's what they say. They might not say it, but that's what they say. And so we're going to look at a few things today. If you have your outline on the back, we're going to look at four refutations of the Roman Catholic Church. Just look at four things. And we're going to see that because, because to tell us die, right? That's what we're looking at today. Because it is finished, we're going to look at four things. And the first one is this. Because to tell us die, because it is finished, Mass is not needed. Roman Catholic Mass, what they call Mass, it's not needed. I mean, you could say it a lot stronger than that. <laughs> that it's, it's blasphemous, but it's, it's not needed. And so... So what is it? What is Mass? Well, quickly, it's where the priest calls Jesus down from heaven. Okay, The sinful man calls Jesus down. Why? To be sacrificed again. To be sacrificed again. The doctrine of transubstantiation. He calls Jesus down, transubstantiates, changes, converts, the substance of the Eucharist, the, the wine and the bread. That's what's going on on the Mass. Calling Him down and then transubstantiates the, 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 the bread and the wine into the literal body and blood of Christ. As we'll see, as I read out of the Confession a little later, that doesn't even... Or no, I think it was a, a quote by Spurgeon. That doesn't even fit with logic... That they say that's the literal body and blood of Jesus. And you have this sinful, and I'll say very blasphemous man, calling Jesus down from heaven. And so the, the bread and the wine, is, it's, it's only the appearing, appearance of bread and wine still remaining. Yeah, that looks like bread and it looks like wine, but that's, that's actually Jesus' literal body and blood. The... the uh, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I'm going to be reading from that several times today just so you can hear what they say. Paragraph 1367 says this, The sacrifice of Christ and the sacrifice of the Eucharist are one single sacrifice. The victim is one and the same. Didn't we just talk about Wednesday night that Jesus is not a victim? They say the victim is one and the same. The same now offers through the ministry of the priest who then offered himself on the cross. Only the manner of offering is different. And since in this divine sacrifice, the Mass, they call it a divine sacrifice, they, they put it on equal par with the cross. That's what they're doing. And since in this divine sacrifice which is celebrated in the Mass, the same Christ who offered Himself once in a bloody manner on the altar of the cross is contained and offered in an unbloody manner, this sacrifice is truly propitiatory. The Mass. This divine sacrifice. There's a lot we can say about that. But this unbloody sacrifice... Remember what Hebrews said, that Christ suffered once when He offered Himself up once, one sacrifice. Well, not according to, the, not according to Rome, He's got to be sacrificed again and again and again and again. And that last statement, it says this sacrifice is truly propitiatory. 
This sacrifice truly appeases the wrath of God that they perform week after week and all around the world. Christ crucified all over again. What are they saying, guys? It's ne- it was never finished. We have to finish it. And then you still don't know if it's finished, right? Actually, you finish it in purgatory. Purging your sins in purgatory. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Do you, do you see how, how wicked this is? How, how, what a, what a. You're just telling God, no, it's not finished. What your son did is not enough. Was Jesus a victim? Jesus wasn't a victim, right? John 10, 17, 18. He said, I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. Certainly no priest calls him down from heaven. Even in our verse today, John 19.30, says Jesus gave up His Spirit. It is finished. He gave up His Spirit. He was in control of everything. He's not a victim. Again, Hebrews 10.12, when He had offered for all time, how many sacrifices? A single sacrifice for sins. How many supposed sacrifices has happened in the Roman Catholic Church? Millions. And every time they're saying, what Jesus said on the cross is not true. It's not finished. It's an affront to a holy God. It's an affront to the God the Father in sending His Son, crushing His Son on the cross. That's not enough. For God's wrath to truly be appeased, we must sacrifice Him all over again. They have a different Jesus, guys. That's the first thing we see. They say, it's not finished, and they believe in a different Jesus. They may say they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, but they believe in a different Jesus. That He's a cracker. A little piece of bread. He's not a victim. He reigns with all authority. No sinner on earth is calling Him out of heaven. How many times did it say Christ would return? He's coming back one time. Not millions. We don't call Him back. He's coming back once. What is it that that they think they're accomplishing at Mass? Listen to paragraph 14.14 of the Catechism. As... As sacrifice, the Eucharist is also offered in reparation of the sins of the living and the dead. And to obtain spiritual and temporal benefits from God. Again, this what they call this unbloody sacrifice of the Mass offered in reparation of the sins of the living and of the dead. Their whole system, we'll look at more here in a few moments, but their, but their whole system of, 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 of purgatory and, and indulgences, everything that you can, even, you can even purge, or you can make your time shorter in purgatory by, by purchasing indulgences that we'll talk about here in a moment. But you can even make Purgatory shorter for somebody else. If this is not a blasphemous system of works, guys, how could, how could I ever sit up here 
and, and, and say somebody who would defend this is a brother in Christ. These are not brothers in Christ. These are idolaters. Listen to Colossians 1.20. They, they call the Mass an unbloody sacrifice that is propitiatory. But what does the Bible say? Colossians 1.20 Having made peace through the blood of His cross. Right? Where He offered Himself up once. Do you see how literally everything they teach is in opposition to the Scriptures? Why do we need Reformation? <laughs> Why is it so important? Listen to 1 Peter 1.18. You guys remember who they said Peter was, right? The first pope? Well, the first pope disagrees with their teaching. Peter says that we are redeemed not with things that are perishable. You know, gold, silver, money, whatever. Not anything on this earth. But with the precious blood of Christ. God purchases our salvation through His Son's work on the cross. Nothing else. It is finished. To tell us God. Drive that home in your heart and your mind, guys. If anybody comes along with any works, then what they're saying, it's not finished. You, you, you got to add this, you got to add that. Beloved, the, the Mass, for our first point, the Mass denies to tell us God. That's what it shouts from the Roman Catholic rooftop, housetop. It's not finished. We need to finish it. The Mass is not needed. Matter of fact, the Mass is hostile to the gospel. Hope you can see that. It's hostile to the gospel. And those people that are sitting under it, guys, are under a delusion. Okay? That's not Christ. Because of Tetelestai, secondly, Mary is not helpful. Mary is not helpful. Regarding Mary's so called saving office, okay? So called saving office, listen to what paragraph 966 in their catechism says. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office. That's their official teaching, guys. Don't let a Roman Catholic tell you, oh no, our church doesn't believe this about Mary. That's their official doctrine. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside the saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Nothing about Jesus. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. What does Hebrews 7.25 say, guys? Speaking of Jesus, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. The Catechism says that Mary had the saving office. But what does the Bible say? That Jesus is able to save forever. The Catechism says that she is the one that by her manifold intercession but what does the Bible say, guys? That it's through Christ's intercession. Do you see? It's not too strong of a statement. As a matter of fact, it is a very accurate statement. Do you see Antichrist here? 
against Christ, instead of Christ, against what He says on the cross. Christ is not really needed. That's what false religion says. Christ is not really needed. In this case, just go to His mom. Advocate. They call her an advocate. What was 1 John 2.1 If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's, so, it's not even difficult to refute. It's so clear. It's so anti-Christ. It's so instead of. It's so opposite. It's so in opposition of. It's just clear. The Catechism says that Mary is the one that brings us the gifts of eternal salvation. Romans 3.24, Paul says, but justified as a, or being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption, which is in not Mary, but Christ Jesus. Mediatrix, the catechism refers to her as the mediatrix. Paul in 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and one mediator. Only one who can reconcile us to God. And it's not Mary. It's Jesus Christ who gave, himself as a, who gave His life as a ransom for many. Beloved, this is a false gospel. Okay? There's, no, there's, no, there's not even any gray area. It's a false gospel. They are the mission field. We don't align ourselves with Roman Catholics and say, yeah, we're on the same team. We're not. We love them. They need to be saved. They need the true Gospel. They need to repent and believe the true Gospel that it is finished. That Jesus is the only way. Not Mary. Not the Pope. Not any priest. But our great and, high, our great and mighty high priest. And the, and the fact about it is... Referring to Mary, guys, Mary knew all of this that we're reading. She knew all of this. She sang of her Savior in Luke chapter 1. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she needed a Savior. There's only one righteous, and that's Christ. So the Roman Catholic Church, they say Christ is not enough. They say you need Mary. But the Bible says to Telestai, it is finished. The Roman Catholic Church says to Telestai is not true. It's not finished. It, and beloved, it is a false gospel. They are the mission field. Okay? They are the mission field. They're not the missionaries. They're the mission field. And they need the gospel. Third, because to Telestai, because it is finished, because of this foundational truth. What, what was the quote? Socrates, he was hoping for a... If there was just a firmer foundation. This is before he dies. How sad. We've got the firmest foundation there is, guys. When God walked this earth, His last words on the cross was, it is finished. To Telestai. That's a firm foundation. And so third, because to Telestai, because it is finished, purgatory does not exist. Now, obviously, purgatory does not exist because it does not exist. <laughs> purgatory did not even become dogma in the 
Roman Catholic Church until the 13th century, I believe. That's accurate. But it's, it doesn't exist because it's not in Scripture. Okay, But you get my point. Because it is finished, purgatory does not exist. It's not needed. Maybe that's a better way to say it. It's not needed either. It's not in Scripture. Paragraph 1030 in the Catechism. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. There's so much that could be said about that. First of all, if you die in God's grace, that's because you have been saved by His grace and have a perfect righteousness. So there's no... For those who are in God's... Who are in the grace of God, have been saved by the grace of God, we don't ever have to worry about some imperfect purification because the blood of Jesus purifies us. So there's so much that could be said about that. But as far as just the doctrine of purgatory, I'm just I'm just looking at this statement here, guys, and, and seeing really what I want to say about it. Um, Yeah, that second phrase, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness, right? So, so if you're not fully purified in this life through all of your good works, you know, penance and prayers and Hail Mary prayers and, and, and fastings and all these things that purge away your sins, don't worry about it. You can finish it in heaven. And then through the, the purchases of indulgences, you can shorten the time. You can shorten your time in purgatory. It's basically just a religion of greed as well. Just give, give to the papacy so they can build their big buildings and these type of things. And you'll shorten your time in purgatory. You can even shorten the time of your loved ones in purgatory. Is that not an evil religion? We'll read about that a little bit in our history book. About some of the things Luther was dealing with. But just really getting rich off the backs of poor people. Telling them that, yeah, you can shorten your time in purgatory and all of these different things. But really to the heart of this false doctrine, guys. To the heart of this false doctrine of purgatory. After death, is there a second chance? No. Not at all. But man, isn't that good news? Not, not really good news, but somebody who loves their sin, somebody who doesn't want to give up their sin, don't worry about it. Purgatory. There's no second chance, is there? You remember the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16? Very explicitly, Jesus given a picture of what happens to an unbeliever and a believer. Instant torment for the unbeliever. An instant paradise for the believer. And he, and he talked about how there's a great chasm that separates the two. That one can't cross into the other and vice versa. Absent from the body, present with the Lord for the believer. Amen. Amen. But for the unbeliever, instant torment. No purgatory. There's no such thing. It's a, it's a the devil's lie. And again, 
We're not purged. We don't go through any type of purification by anything that we do. The blood of Jesus in 1 John 1.7, it says, purifies us from all sin. As Christians, that's our hope. It's not in an unbloody sacrifice of the Mass. No, they don't call Jesus down. One time, it is finished. Beloved, purgatory is the devil's lie to deceive multitudes. What does the Bible say? Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Why would it have these warnings in Scripture like that? Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Get right with God today. Be ready. Be ready. That's Christ. That's His message in the New Testament. Be ready. We're to be ready for His return. We're to be ready for death. We're to be ready. Why? Because when it's over, it's over. Not, well, you have, you have a second chance. Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished. Rome says, no, it's not. And then lastly, guys, because of Telestai, because it is finished, works do not save. And this really gets to the heart of all false religion. Works do not save. Because it is finished, works do not save. They never have saved. They didn't save Abraham or anybody in the Old Testament. It was only through the work of Christ. This is a works righteousness system. I think that's rather obvious. Amen? I mean, that's, it's rather obvious. This is just touching the surface. Sometimes when I'm talking to a Roman Catholic, I forget to where I even go in the conversation as far as to point out good works because there's so much. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's just a, it's a system built upon, again, human achievement. In Ray Comfort's book, World Religions in a Nutshell, he says this quote here. In Catholicism, in Roman Catholicism, baptism erases sins up to the point up to that point and merely begins the process of salvation. That's what you're going to hear in, that, in, in their teaching. It's a process. A process that continues throughout life and as one participates in the sacraments. The sacrament of penance is required to receive forgiveness of sin committed after baptism. Acts of penance vary but include prayer, Saying the rosary, that's where they have their, I think it's 59 little beads that they go through their little formulas and pray these little, little prayers that they pray. You'll see them at the abortion clinics when we used to go there. They have their little beads they pray. Uh, reading Scripture, saying a number of Our Father or Hail Mary prayers, doing good works, and fasting. In Roman Catholic teaching, the sacraments are necessary for salvation because they confer sacramental grace. Forgiveness of sins, adoption as children of God, confirmation to Christ the Lord, and membership in the church. The Holy Spirit, really just want to focus on this last phrase here. The, this is still Ray Comfort speaking here. The Holy Spirit heals and transforms those who receive the sacraments. And then this, this phrase here God's grace that is, conf that is conferred simply enables believers to perform the works that earn them the right to heaven. 
Did you hear that? Did you hear their definition of grace? God's grace is God's grace that is conferred simply enables believers to perform the works that earn them the right to heaven. And this is really the heart of it. This this grace that they talk about. They have a completely different definition of grace. You'll hear a similar definition of grace from a Mormon or from a Hebrew Israelite and talking with them. This this teaching that grace it basically just enables us to earn our way. That's not grace. And that's why the five solos of the Reformation, guys, are so important. Alone, right? We need to emphasize when we're speaking with others that we are saved by God's grace alone. Through faith alone and Christ alone. And then, this is probably where Ray Comfort got that because listen to paragraph 2027 in the Catechism, Roman Catholic Catechism, really saying a lot of the same language. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for all others the graces needed to attain eternal life. Let me read that again. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for all others the graces needed to attain eternal life. That sounds like boasting. Is what that sounds like. That sounds like boasting. The whole system sounds like boasting. This is what we do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we have been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. What does the catechism say? We can merit for ourselves. But biblical grace says that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. Verse 10, we are all, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. It's just like James teaches in James chapter 2. Works are always the result, not the cause of salvation. We're not against good works. Should we pray? Absolutely. Should we do good works? Absolutely. Should we help the needy? Yes. Should we do this? Should we do that? Yes. But it's a result, not the cause. I hope you can see, guys, throughout all of this, how direct, directly in opposition to the Scriptures the system is. It's crystal clear. We have to be clear. We have to be clear. Canon 14 of the Council of Trent. The Council of Trent was just basically a response to the Reformation. And really, just as, this is the height of it right here, guys. If you think us and the Roman Catholic system, like we're on the same team, listen to what comes out of their own teaching. And this still stands in their teaching. If anyone saith, if anyone says that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified by this faith alone. You hear that condescension? By this faith alone. What the Reformers were teaching that were saved by faith alone. 
He said, if any, or it says, if anyone says that man is truly absolved from his sins and justified by this faith alone, let him be anathema. Does that sound like Antichrist? What did Paul say? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. Beloved, should we compromise and call Roman Catholic apologists our brothers? May it never be. Ever. We cannot bring... We cannot bring any kind of confusion. They are God's enemies. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never. We should be clear on these things. We should be uncompromising. Like MacArthur stated. Like Spurgeon stated. And many others have stated. And most importantly, like the Apostle Paul. We must be clear. If anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be anathema. Paul taught faith alone. Paul taught grace alone in the same book. In Galatians 2.16, a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Titus 3, Paul says, not by works of righteousness, but according to His mercy He saved us. On and on and on. You can see Paul preaching one gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Rome comes along and says, just the opposite. You're anathema. We're anathema. We're anathema. If a Roman Catholic tells you that no, we're on the same, they don't even know what they teach. We need to be clear. On these things. It is a false system, an antichrist system, and there are souls that are perishing in that system. Remember in Galatians, Paul said these, these guys that are come in and preaching a different gospel are to be eternally condemned. And what were they adding to the gospel? Circumcision. One thing. How many things have we read today that the Roman Catholic Church adds? Maybe you guys were counting. I lost track. And there's a lot more. Beloved, when you get down to the bottom of it, Roman Catholics are idolaters. They're idolaters. They believe a false gospel. They believe a false Christ. And Paul makes it clear that idolaters will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. We don't align ourselves with them. We lovingly call all of them to repent, right? And to believe the true gospel. That it is finished. That you come by faith. That you're saved by grace. That you lay down your, your, your attempt to earn heaven. It is finished. Jesus' last words on the cross ended all the debate. It is finished. Father, we thank You, Lord, for those words. We thank You for the truth. The power in those words that it is finished, God. That we can add nothing that any works we bring to You are out of love and devotion and worship because You have already saved us. Father, we thank You for the good works that You prepared for us before the foundation of the world that we would walk in them, God. But God, we know that none of it merits anything. That our merit is found in Christ, Him alone. We thank You for the clarity of the Gospel, God. I pray that 
everybody here, myself included, God, would, would always bring clarity to this issue, would not compromise, would not back down out of fear, God, but we would seek to please You and we would lovingly communicate these truths, Lord, to people who are, who are dying in their sins, Lord, not only in this false system, but many others, and those who just do not know You. Father, we thank You for the cross, God, as we, as we uh, take communion together, God. We just remember what Christ did for us, how He shed His blood, how His body was broken on our behalf, Father. And we thank You, Father. We thank You for to tell us, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.